This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today to uh, our newly renamed program, Lawyer to Lawyer, formerly known as Coast to Coast. I'm Bob Ambrogi in Massachusetts. And I'm Craig Williams in Southern California. I write a blog called May It Please the Court. Bob, I know you write several. And I write a blog called Law Sites and another blog called Media Law. The idea of marriage and divorce is not what it was years ago for many people. The traditional marriage consisting of a man and a woman living together happily ever after has become, unfortunately, a thing of the past. According to Americans for Divorce Reform, they estimate that probably 40 or possibly even 50 percent of marriages will end in divorce if current trends continue. Uh, Today, marriage and divorce have have many facets. Uh, I can attest to that being in Massachusetts, which is the only state where gay marriage is legalized. Uh, with the battle for gay marriage across other states, and uh, and as I say now, gay divorce here in Massachusetts, the, the, the world of matrimonial law is certainly changing. And in a sign of the times, and perhaps because of the numbers being so high, divorce is now going commercial. From virtual visitation to online do-it-yourself divorce kits, the familiar scene of lawyers in a room with a divorcing couple is now a thing in the past. So today we'll take a look at uh, the uh, act of marriage and divorce and the, and the law of marriage and divorce as they exist today and as they may be continuing to develop. We're going to explore uh, how this has changed over the years and where we may be headed. We'd like to welcome as our first guest, Attorney Daniel Clement. He's the principal in the law office of Daniel E. Clement, a full-service law firm concentrating in the areas of family law and matrimonial litigation. The firm maintains offices in both New York and New Jersey. Daniel Clement has practiced law since 1986, has written and lectured on various family law issues, and he's been interviewed as an expert in the field of family law, television, radio, and the written press. Mr. Clement is a member of the New York City Bar Association, where he's a member of the Matrimonial Committee. He also writes a blog entitled New York Divorce Report, New York's Family and Law Blog. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Hi, thank you for having me. And our next guest is uh, another New York matrimonial lawyer, Sherry Donovan. Uh, Attorney Donovan is the owner of the law firm Sherry Donovan & Associates in Manhattan. Uh, She is also author of the book, Hit Him Where It Hurts, The Take No Prisoner's Guide to Divorce, Alimony, Custody, Child Support, and More. She uh, concentrates her practice in family issues as they relate to the law, specifically issues related to marriage, divorce, domestic partnerships, annulment, property valuation, property distribution, custody, child visitation, child support, and, and related matters and termination of parental rights. Uh, Sherry is a nationally acclaimed author, uh, attorney, author, and speaker, and is the matrimonial counsel to New York City's chapter of the National Organization for Women. Uh, welcome to the show, Sherry. Thank you so much for having me. It's a great topic to cover. Thank you. Well, well, let's start off with kind of the the, the big picture, and and uh, the you know if if we might want to call it what was once referred to as the sanctity of of marriage. Um, with with the way the law stands right now, is it uh, is it uh, any longer accurate to talk about the sanctity of marriage? How how have we changed from from our grandparents' times? 
Dan, well, start with well, you. Well, I, I think the major change is now with the divorce rate about fifty percent uh, and marriages ending. You know, half the marriages ending. Uh, what we used to consider was a long-term marriage was you know someone who was married twenty-five, thirty, forty years, and now. Uh, if, if someone's married 10 years, we think that's a long time. Um, I'm finding lots of people are getting divorced in year one, year two. Um, uh, so I don't think there really is this sanctity of marriage. It's something of, uh, you know, it's something that could be, you know, people view as, hey, if we don't get along, let's just terminate it. Is there such a thing as married light? I think that's what's becoming. If I may. Margaret Mead had an interesting quote. She said the first marriage was for romance, the second marriage for family, and the third marriage for companionship. And I think, fortunately or unfortunately, that America is following that visionary or that path. Um, I, I see there's a trend in cyclical marriages. And, and what about, have we, where are we in terms of kind of the, the status of, uh, of I guess, of, of gender roles within marriage? I mean, I, Looking at, at your website earlier today, Sherry, and I, I see that you know you've got some statistics on and the impact uh, of divorce on women in particular. Uh, you know, we also hear a lot about uh, uh, men who continue to to feel that uh, custody matters tend to discriminate against them. Uh, are, are the courts evolving in the way they're uh, uh, treating men and women in divorce? Yeah, I think there's been I think there's been some new trends with gender. One, you do see even those those statistics still hold true. Uh, you know, women do tend to get more of the custody and men still make more of the money. And then women are held supporting three people, let's say, compared to the husband or ex-husband supporting one. You still have the pay inequity and the financial inequity, but you do see that women are starting to make more money. You do see the superwoman theory syndrome where the woman is maybe the main financial person and taking care of the kids. It's not like it's a role reversal, but usually it's become the superwoman where she has to carry both ends. And the husband, soon to be ex-husband or ex-husband, is almost like another child sometimes. So that's the trend I've been seeing is this superwoman theory. And that's a completely different type of advocacy for the woman than, let's say, 10, 15 years ago. And you do see more gay partnerships, absolutely. Are there supermen out there that you see that do? Well, I think all. I think I, I think all men like to think they're supermen, uh, but but I think that's that was. Yeah, I I think for some reason the women maintain the the, uh, for lack of a better word, the housewife role, even though they are in the in in the workplace. I don't think the men really tend to adopt both the breadwinner and house person role. I do see, though, that um, that there are men who are stepping up to the plate with their children in terms of not just being a weekend dad, but there is a whole new group of dads. Uh, I wouldn't say it's the majority yet, unfortunately, but I, but I think that there's a whole new group of dads who either are taking custody themselves, that's still rare, but I do see a lot of joint custody where they really are sharing the time almost 50% um, or 50%. There's there's a, there's a handful, there's a group that take the parenting very seriously, which is wonderful. Yeah, I, I agree. That's a change. Yeah, I, I see that change as well, where, where it used to be you had the dad who would see the kids uh, every other weekend and was, for lack of a better term, the good time dad. 
uh, you know, he would take the kids to the ball games and play ball with them. Uh, but now they are more actively involved, uh, sometimes even available to do homework on, on a nightly basis. Out here in California, those guys are known as Disneyland dads. <laughs> they actually live at Disneyland. The other change I see is the blended family, that because it is second or third marriages, the legal issues do get more complicated with children from prior marriages, prenuptial agreements, businesses from prior marriages, and then how to blend all these children together and spouses, new spouses, biological parents, girlfriends, lovers. Um, it gets more complicated. There's more adults in the children's lives. And how do you balance all of that? It, it's more stressful. It's not necessarily bad. It could be more love, but it's more complicated. Are we looking at something that basically is a contractual in nature? Is there a coming-of-age marriage contract to engage all of this and resolve these problems ahead of time? I think so. Um, I mean, I think what's happening is there's now these parenting plans that are very useful that the courts are using, which helps almost get an agreement on parenting that's separate than being married. And, and there are, of course, unmarried partners and people not getting married and having children. But really, that's more in Scandinavia. In Scandinavia countries, they are almost doing away with marriage and just having parenting agreements. But I think in America, we're going in an opposite direction, where we're doing more of the cyclical marriages, which I mentioned before. We like marriage in America. <laughs> so I, I'd like to ask a question. You know, if, if in fact, uh, divorce is, is becoming more common, uh, does that mean that it's becoming less acrimonious? And I, I, I noticed, uh, Dan Clement, on your website, uh, you referenced to uh, collaborative divorce. Uh, is that something that's becoming more of the trend, and does that point to less acrimony in divorce? Well, ironically, it was in the chief judge's state of the court's um, address, I think it was just this week, and she announced that in New York City they were going to open what was a collaborative law center. Um, I think that's the, the idea is to take get away from you know to, to take people who can perhaps agree out of, agree to agree or agree to disagree to, uh, to agree to agree that they can't be married and, and just try and find a commonality to 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 uh, uh, take the the uh, matter out of the court system to make it a little less acrimonious to teach them that uh, it doesn't have to be a win-lose game it can be a win-win game well and if it works in new york it should work just about everywhere else <laughs> right right considering we're very adversarial i think collaborative divorce is a better process than mediation and i think it is a wave of the future in mediation neither party is represented by an attorney usually at the mediation session um, the mediator just wants to come to an agreement, and they tend to work on the one who's more passive. They also don't have to be specialized or that experienced in matrimonial. Uh, the women's organizations traditionally have had some problems with mediation, particularly with its domestic violence situations or where pensions have left out, you know, major assets. I think with collaborative divorce, it, it offers more protection to both parties, but at the same time, the attorneys work as a team and avoid litigation. It makes sense. In my understanding, in collaborative divorce, the attorneys actually have to commit to the idea that if, for some reason, that process breaks down, those attorneys won't won't appear in in, in the litigation. If it's if it's a strict, rigid collaborative divorce situation, then they do sign such an agreement that they will step aside if it litigates. 
there are there are attorneys who engage in the loose term of collaborative divorce, and they agree to try to work as a team, but they don't necessarily step out. But okay. that is usually the main factor of right. the collaborative. Right, and, and that was also the that's the criticism of it is that the attorney by agreeing that he won't represent the litigant in the collaborative that he won't represent both the client in both the collaborative and the litigation uh, is somewhat handcuffed. Um, in other words, that the, he would have to, the client would have to go out and f- retain another counsel just to uh, um, litigate, and it kind of removes that threat. So uh, that, that's the criticism to it. Yeah, I, I have been in situations where I acted in a collaborative law setting where I said, let's work as a team, we'll hire neutral experts together, we'll share information, but did not sign an agreement that I would step aside if it broke down. So that the the client I was representing did not have to pay a new lawyer to start again. Right. Let's take a look at grandparent or grandparent visitation. What types of issues do you see for grandparents uh, interacting with their children and grandchildren? And what advice would you give to grandparents who are facing that kind of a situation? Well, there was just a test case uh, that went up before the Court of Appeals where the whole issue of uh, um, grandparenting was uh, considered whether it was, whether the New York statute uh, was constitutional. Now the Court of Appeals found it was, uh, notwithstanding uh, the earlier court, uh, Supreme Court decision in Troxel. Um, and I think that in part because of New York's law is is geared, unlike what the 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 um, Washington law that was struck down in Troxel. Uh, because only the, the grandparent has that right of visitation as opposed to the, the Washington law, which gave everyone uh, the right of visitation. And the other key factor in this case uh, was that the court recognized that the New York statute gives, uh, or, uh, presumes that the parents are going to act in the, in the grandparent, the, grandpa- the parents are going to act in the best interest of the child. Um, uh, and if there's a reason why uh, the grandparent, if, if there's a reason, they have, they'll assume that the reason is to allow or not allow grandparent visitation is going to be in the best interest of the child. Um, I think a grandparent who's looking to have visitation with um, uh, a, a grandchild should really do whatever he can to try and foster that uh, relationship. To, um, whether it's you know, send the cards, send birthday cards, birthday presents, what have you, um, um, you know, to, to to establish that there is some type of relationship between the grandparent and the child. Let's talk for a second about uh, gay marriage, just because uh, you know, obviously, I'm in, as I say, I'm in Massachusetts. It's 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 a big topic of discussion here, as it is throughout the country. Uh, but I guess my question is: Is it as as significant to to lawyers as it is to the general public? I mean, is this changing uh, the law or the practice of matrimonial law in any way? The the, the matrimonial bar in in New York has has been a strong advocate of gay marriage. Now, the, the issue is, I mean, I hate to well, it's, it's yeah, selfish it's because it's interest that they're going to have more business because they're going to have more divorce. Um, you know. So I mean, but also, I think that most of the lawyers actually are sensitive to family issues, and and recognize that this is part of 
asserting equality and human rights. Well, I mean, other than changing the parties to the divorce or, or the parties to the marriage, is it having any impact on the state of the law? I, I don't think... The only thing I've noticed is that is that you have to just be more careful of prejudice in the judge's decisions. Um, like, even the custody cases I've done, and if you look at the case law, in the past, if a parent was gay, if a parent was heterosexual, they would be less concerned about that parent dating in front of the child as long as there was no inappropriate behavior. What I saw with a lot of um, gay parents or lesbian parents is that that wasn't the case, that there was, there was a whole line of cases that basically you don't date a same-sex partner in front of your children. Now, I did have a, a case in, in family court that went to trial that, that the judge spoke against that and, and, and recognized the partner, and, and it wasn't an issue. So I, I think we just have to be careful of these type of prejudices because really it should be the same issues. So the judge's attitude toward homosexuality may well affect the, the way they, they, uh, they handle the case. Yeah, I mean, one thing I noticed with matrimonial family law as maybe compared to commercial litigation, I know one of you, is that there is room for discretion, and a lot of that discretion, fortunately or unfortunately, is based on people's experiences, including the judge's experiences with life. I mean, for instance, alimony awards, the maintenance awards, there is no formula for maintenance or alimony in New York State. Um, you know, New Hampshire has it. But and in that area, you do find a lot of personal discretion going into those decisions on alimony or maintenance. I mean, there are, there are, and that's problematic. Yeah, I mean, picking up on that, the, 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 there are a lot of cases where, uh, you know, two, 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 two cases, uh, same facts, just flipping the incomes of the man and the woman, where in, in the traditional case, the woman would be entitled to, uh, where the man has a higher income and the woman would be entitled to uh, spousal maintenance in the reverse case where the, the incomes would be the same, uh, the, 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 only the, it's the wife who's a higher income, uh, seldom do you see the man getting uh, spousal maintenance. So, so there is, so there is that, that built-in or institutional bias, even though yeah. the law is supposed to be gender neutral. Or another instance is that if you have, and again, I'm not pointing fingers at anyone in particular, but if you have a female judge who has raised her children and made it as a judge. They can expect that all women can do this. Well, of course you can work and raise your children and, and you can at high at career level, you know, you know, and maybe it doesn't matter. You've been out of the workforce 10 years. Just go and do it. So I think this is where the bias comes in. The case law on alimony maintenance, this is my uh, major area that I advocate for change. And I don't know if other matrimonial lawyers agree with me. I don't know if Dan would agree with me. But I think the major area that needs change um, throughout the country, and in particular New York State, is in the maintenance alimony area. I think we've resolved a lot of the issues about equitable distribution. A lot of times you do see it as an economic partnership. You have the 50-50, and they know how to divide assets. There is disputes about what's marital and separate property that are very creative arguments. Child support, there is a formula. I'm not just saying that there's not litigation. There's duplication issues that arise between you know, what is an asset and, and what is child support or what is maintenance. But the biggest area I see where the case law, as Dan said, I agree with that, is all over the place. We cannot advise people who come into our office what they will get as a maintenance or alimony award or what they will have to pay. Because even within one judge, the cases vary. And certainly among different you, judges. You, you can give guesstimates and, and, and ranges that are so 
broad, uh, they're almost meaningless. Um, but the, 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 you know, the answer of doing a one-size-fits-all, you know, child support, it's based on guidelines, percentages of income, is not a cure-all either. Um, that, you know, one size doesn't fit all. Um, you know, the, the child support guidelines in New York, for instance, don't take into account joint um, joint custody, joint parenting time. You know, so a parent who's spending, uh, for instance, 50% of the time is, pay, is paying a full amount of his, of his uh, child support um, based upon the guidelines. It's, it's not taken into account. So the one-size-fits-all doesn't doesn't work universally, and the other. But on the other hand, doing it incrementally every every case on its facts leads to results that you can't reconcile. What I would suggest, basically, and I think this is the next wave of change in matrimonial law, along with gay marriage, um, which I think is very important. Um, I know even when I got married before, I said. And we must recognize those who cannot get married. So I think that is the crucial area, is gay and lesbian marriage. But along with that, I think there has to be some type of guidelines or formula for maintenance alimony. And it can have variations, just like in child support. It won't cover every situation. And there will be wrinkles to work out and various arguments, but we need some type of guidelines or formula. California courts have uh, adopted a program called uh, DisoMaster, which is a software program, and universally use it throughout the state to uh, address the issues that you've just uh, discussed. So while there is some discretion, it's almost like sentencing guidelines from the standpoint that you put the dollars in and the computer program spits out what alimony is going to be and, and uh, what assets are going to be, how they're going to be divided. Something I wondered about is uh, something I've written about on my blog is this notion of virtual visitation in which uh, if parents, uh, divorced parents in, in separate states can use uh, web conferencing, teleconferencing to uh, be able to interface with their children. Uh, have you, have either of you been involved in, in any cases uh, using that kind of technology or have you, are you seeing other uses for sort of cutting edge or internet technology in uh, the more traditional matrimonial and child custody issues? Yeah, I mean, I, I have had cases um, where we've written into the stipulations about various technology that's used to keep the contact between the parent and child, particularly in situations where you have job mobility, and traveling for work, and also relocation issues with custody. Um, we have used the technology to keep the child and parent closer together. So I, I think it's a good thing. I think that's using technology in a positive way. Well, we're going to take a short break, and when we return, we'll get some more thoughts along with our final thoughts and contact information for our guests. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Lawyer to Lawyer is produced by the Legal Talk Network. 
and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show. Did you know that Legal Talk Network podcasts are also available as CLE? Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's CLECenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. Check out our Lawyer to Lawyer host blogs, J. Craig Williams' blog at mayofpleasethecourt.com, likewise Robert Ambrogi's blog at LegalLine.com for daily legal observations, perspective, and, of course, a healthy dose of humor and wit. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams. And this is Bob Ambrogi. We're talking about family and matrimonial law today with our two guests, Daniel E. Clement, uh, a lawyer in Manhattan, and Sherry Donovan, also a family lawyer in Manhattan and author of a book, Hit Him Where It Hurts. And Sherry, maybe you could uh, tell us a little bit about what you found in in writing this book. Yes. um, Basically, I find that most people aren't prepared for the divorce process. And Yes, the racy title, but, but B, the, bo- the book focuses on preparation for this process. It's so easy to get married and just go to City Hall, but divorce involves dealing with yourself emotionally, financially, legally, as well as look at your future, and then at the same time carry on your everyday life of work and taking care of the kids. So people need guidelines about how to get through the process. This book is different from other books on the market because it's based on case composites. Um, I've lectured monthly for National Organization for Women on Divorce Law for over 18 years, and I've seen these women month after month, as well as the cases I've done in court, as well as personal experiences. And I do have stories that people can identify themselves in these stories. It also mentions the mistakes that people have made in the divorce process. Um, And it doesn't focus on litigation. It focuses on the, the nicest remedies to then the war zone if you're getting hit with lots of papers. How do you deal with it? Is this for women only? Uh, The book is good for everyone. A lot of my male clients love it. (laughs) Well, Daniel, what about uh, online divorce kits? Do you find that that's a way that uh, people can avoid some of the costs associated with hiring lawyers? Is it taking business away from you? I think it's probably tantamount to the unauthorized practice of law. I know there are a lot of uh, those kits available. I know there are... uh, uh, Organizations We the People, I think, is one, and I believe that was hammered as an unauthorized uh, practice of law. Um, 
in, I think it was in one, and I think it was in a bankruptcy case. Um, I, I think, you know, the people who want to do it themselves, the resources are out there. Uh, the, the court system makes the divorce laws, uh, the divorce forms uh, available. There's instructions. Uh, but not everyone is able to do that, uh, to, to, to handle uh their own divorce, uh, and particularly where there are any kind of contested issues. Yeah, where, where people who have been married two months and have no issues, no assets, uh, no children, there's no reason why they can't do it themselves. But in a more complicated setting where they've been together, there are assets, there are children, uh, or any other issue, then I think, that, that, you know, as Ben Franklin said, only a fool has himself for an attorney. About the uh, sort of a maybe a personal question, but a, a number of lawyers I talk to, uh, hardened criminal lawyers, all sorts, will say, "God, I could never do divorce because it's just so heart wrenching." <laughs> and yet, I assume both of you do this because you find some some satisfaction and fulfillment about in this. What what is it that you uh, like about what you do, and, and and why do you do it? I find when I went to law school, the reason I went to law school is at the age of eleven, I read Clarence Darrow's autobiography. And that inspired me to be a lawyer for, for the, for, to help injustice. And I've always been for the underdog. And I find in the matrimonial process that people need a voice and they need to get through a crisis. And I, was, I, don't, I feel I was meant to serve people and help people through crisis. I also find it interesting legally because it involves psychology, finances. I went to London School of Economics and I've also you know, studied political philosophy. And I find that it combines many interests. I mean, you're never bored doing matrimonial law, and you're helping people. And the flip side of it is, as, as Sherry says, is you don't, you're never bored because you, while you're helping people, you're also learning. Because you're doing the divorce, you're involved in all aspects of their life. You're involved in their business. You're involved, uh, I mean, I've learned all about different businesses. Uh, you help them just move on. And... You, you also can teach them that it's not it doesn't have to be a win-win situation, a win-lose situation. That you know, to maximize their part of the marital pie doesn't mean that the other spouse gets nothing. Uh, sometimes the best way to do it is is where to max. The best way to get your big, the biggest piece is to allow your spouse also to get a big piece. Um, and, and to the extent that you can help people and educate yourself, it's because it's an enjoyable practice. Like if you've had personal experience, I'm a child of divorce and I've been through divorce, it makes you a little more empathetic. And, and if you have a child, and, and people in this situation need someone that they feel is nurturing and assertive, and, and that's what I try to do. Divorce lawyers tend to be uh, fairly well paid if, I, if, it's anything, if New York is anything like California. So our lawyers out here average 100 to $150 an hour higher than most other lawyers. I think I think yeah, we. I think um, it'd be wonderful if you could if uh, if uh, lawyers were able to collect every dime that they build uh, for every minute of the time they spent uh, talking to their clients. But uh, I, I think I think the attorneys who are doing M and A deals on Wall Street are uh, probably more highly compensated than most divorce attorneys. Yeah, yeah. I think I think corporate lawyers get paid hourly a higher rate. Um, Craig, are you but thinking what? of changing focus areas? Not at all, Bob. Not at all. And I'm not looking forward to a bill from Daniel or Sherry. <laughs> well, one lawyer said to me, she goes, Sherry, out of all the lawyers I know, you do keep it nimble and efficient. And you will say if a deposition is a waste of money for your clients or not.
So you also have to always do a cost-benefit analysis for the person you're representing and help them do it so that they're the final decision maker, so that they are making those financial decisions about their own case. Well, we're reaching the end of our program, so we'd like to wrap up and get your final thoughts on the topics we've discussed today and give you the opportunity to give our listeners your contact information uh, so that they can reach you if they should need your services in New York or elsewhere. Sure. Uh, well, I, I think matrimonial law, family law, is an area that is constantly changing. I think it's part as we discussed, you know, because the divorce rate is so high, um, uh, and you know, family is such a integral part of, of society. You know, in dealing with the divorce, you're dealing with you know issues of uh, child care, child custody, um, uh, the division of assets, um, and how to. You know, there's a real need to do what we can to protect both of the parents, both the parties, and the children going through the divorce. Um, and obviously, with gay divorce and technology and what have you, the the area is going is going to continue to change. Daniel, how can our listeners reach you? And uh, why don't you tell us the website for your blog? Sure. Well, the blog is the New York Divorce Report dot com, and I can be located found in uh, New York at 225th Avenue, New York, New York. Uh, and my telephone number is 212-683-9551. And Sherry, tell our listeners where they can find out more about you and your book. Yeah, I just wanted to say two quick summation points. Is that One, I think the attorneys have to be open to creative solutions in the matrimonial practice. That's very important. That It's not the law fitting people's lives. It's, it's the people's situation that then you work to make the law apply to that. Um, and secondly, that whether you represent the man or the woman, the husband or the wife or lovers or whoever you're representing, the children are first. And that you have to balance against the ethical code about representing your client zealously, but there always is that higher conscious. It's like uh, you know living in fascist times, right, under Hitler, that basically children are first and that children are the innocent. They have to be protected first in this area of law. Um, my contact information my name is Sherry Donovan, S-H-E-R-R-I-D-O-N-O-V-A-N. My website is SherryDonovan.com. Uh, and then the book, of course, is Hidden Where It Hurts, The Take No Prisoner's Guide to Divorce. That's, that's listed on your website and at Amazon.com yes. as well, right? Yes, it's on the website, and it can be purchased directly with a link from the website. And I will be having a book signing party um, March 27th. Barnes & Noble on Court Street in Brooklyn. That's the next event at 7 o'clock. Yes. Well, thank you very much to our guests. This has been a, a fascinating discussion, and we've learned a lot about the, the state of matrimonial law. And, Craig, uh, good to talk to you again, and we look forward to talking again next week. As do I. I can't believe we made it through a whole show on divorce and matrimonial law without talking about Anna Nicole Smith. Thank God. <laughs> which, which is a separate show. A show unto itself. Yes. Thanks, Dan. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Anytime at all. And it's great work what you're doing. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com.
The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.